welcome to the Good Hard Story Podcast, where we believe that the good story and the hard story can be the exact same story. I'm Katherine Wolf, and I'm a stroke survivor, a speaker, an author, and co-founder of Hope Heals. Tune in here every week for conversations about wholeheartedly living in a good hard story. Join me in this joyful rebellion to the darkness where we discover the treasures hidden in our hurting. Friends, you are in for such a treat today. We are with the amazing Lisa Whittle, who is the best-selling author of nine books. Nine, right? (laughs) So cool. And uh, Bible studies. And you may have heard of Jesus Over Everything, her book and the name of her podcast. And she's a prolific podcaster, speaker, author, all the things. She's amazing, and I'm so grateful she's here. You may also have heard um, here on the Good Hard Story podcast about the word in reverse, the hard good. That is the title of another of her amazing books, The Hard Good. And I'm so blessed to get to speak with her today. She's a mother of three grown boys and a wife of a wonderful husband. And what a blessing that she's here um, making us laugh. She's hilarious. Keeping it real and talking about the good and the hard, which I'm obsessed with. So I love that um, you talk about that. Mm. And I'm so glad you're here, Lisa. Thank you. Oh, I'm so honored. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. I'm a huge fan of yours. Oh, you are. You are really sweet, Lisa. It is such a blessing that you're with us. And of course, I I want to start today with chatting for a moment about um, your word, hard good, my word, good hard. And I think I already know this, but I... um, well, I'll just tell the listener. I like the word good hard because I love to start with the goods. Mm-hmm. I love to start with the good stuff. And you would love the opposite. You love hard good because you want to end with the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And both, I don't like to end with the hard actually either. <laughs> I just want good good. We good. just both like good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want good only, but that's not um, the reality. But I love your stance and I love mine too because start and end. Um, um, make a lot of sense to put good in there. Yeah. But unfortunately, as you know all too well and wrote about, um, as I have not written about yet, but might one day, that um, nothing is one note in life. Mm. Things are good and hard at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. They coexist. And life is hard and Rachel, and I, I'd love to hear you speak to that, actually. Why write a book called Hard Good? Mm, yeah, you know, I think what's so important with this, and, and really the Lord just gave me the title of the book, I often will be in the middle of studying the Word of God, and I will uh, get inspired by the life of of. A biblical hero, or even someone uh, who we might not consider a hero, but someone who's really struggled, and and this was 
the case for me as I was studying uh, the life of Saul and uh, how much he was actually someone who God used in, and uh, I think I find this for all of us, God used, even though um, his usability was thwarted by himself. And so it was interesting because I was looking at parallels from uh, my own life, certainly, but also my father, who was a, a pastor and had a very public fall. And and as I was studying, the Lord really revealed to me this idea of hard good and, um, you know, that, that things in life that happen to us are very, very hard often, and that the way that we respond to them can be very, very used for the good. But those things also can be um, not used for the good if we thwart them, if we choose to not allow God to use them. And so he really revealed to me this sort of process of that and even watching it with my father and seeing it in my own life and all of those things. The important thing that I feel in this, regardless of how you put the words, good, hard, or hard, good, is exactly what you stated, which is the tension point and the ability to see that life is carrying both. I mean, we know that, I think. We realize that we're living that, but articulating that. And what I found, Catherine, is if we're not willing to say life is both hard and good, then at some point, we're going to become very disillusioned by life because we're going to say, oh, life is just one or the other. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we want to choose sides. We want to say either life is all good or life is all hard. And I want us as believers to understand that there is purpose in both because life is both. Totally. I think it's all about learning to live in the tension of both Mm -hmm. and changing our expectations. You know, I think for sure, I bend optimist, 100%. I definitely am going to go to the good, and I want to hang out at the good. So it has been a very hard journey for me to learn and recognize and live into the hardness of life, Hmm. things that happen to me, things that I do, all all the things, all the shame, all the guilt, all the pain. but to recognize that that coexists with the good has been uh, really difficult for me to do. Is it's either real bad or real good. Mm. Um, but to kind of recognize it's never going to be one or the other only in anything in our life. You know what's so interesting as you're talking, I struggle with that as well. I mean, I think we write about things we struggle with, right? But so you're this, you're this optimist. I can be very pessimistic. So for yeah. me... Sometimes I struggle with the good, right? So right. I, I'm this person who I've, I've often described myself as a friend who I, I'm probably not the, the, um, the uh, maintenance friend. I call myself I'm not the best maintenance friend. So I'm not. I might forget your birthday. Honestly, I'm not going to remember all your kids' uh, accomplishments. Although I, when I see your kids, I'm gonna scoop them up. I'm gonna kiss them all over their face if they they probably won't want me to, but I'm going to try, right? I'm going to love your kids well when I'm with them, but I'm not going to remember everything to text you about when it comes to your kids. But if your house is on fire, call me. I am the best friend you'll ever have. I'm that crisis friend, right? And so I know, I know hard. I, I know how to do hard. 
I don't know how to do good as much. Just full transparency, Catherine. And so I think for me, it has been this lifelong journey of things that I talk about in the hard good, which is accepting things that I wish were something different. I started there because for me, acceptance has been really, really tough in my life. No, I. what do you mean it can't be done? What do you mean this is the way it is? No, I don't accept that. And so for me, things like that have been really hard. And, you know, not everything that is hard to accept is always a major crisis. I think sometimes it's cheering for someone else who gets something that you want. Things like that I talk about in that book because hard and good are not always these monumental crisis points. They are also just sometimes life that we live that rubs against our natural tendencies. And those are the things that I think sometimes we have a harder time with. I think that is so... So right. Yeah. I'm I'm right there with you. I for me, one um I'm sure you could could attest to this in your own life. Um, and probably one reason you wrote the book is when you were a little girl, you didn't think it was gonna be like it is when you're an adult. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a pretty universal story yeah. that for for most, not for all, but for most, you grow up thinking, oh, it's going to be like this when I'm a big girl. Mm. And then it is not. And what are you going to do with it when it's not? How are you going to make sense of all of the pain of the, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And one way I've had to make sense of it is to recognize that it's always about expecting more of God and less of this world and flipping that, which of course the upside down kingdom of God is that way. So it makes a lot of sense, but it's extremely painful. um, I've had to wake up to the idea of dreams are not the same dreams Mm. that you have when you're a little girl. And that would be very painful. But with the baseline of this good, hard life, there is the hard, good life, um, you can get there easier. Yeah. You just, it's almost like a reality check of the hard and the good in the story. And um, yeah, I just think I never really learned that as a little girl. Oh. I don't know how I missed it. The Bible is very clear, but somehow I just glossed over it. Mm. And thought, if I do the good stuff and have, I will get the good life, you know? Yes. I'll be good and get good. And it didn't work that way. You might be my favorite person ever to talk to about this. And I'm, I'm sad I've waited this long to have this conversation with you. But I, you know, one of the things, Catherine, that I had to even come to grips with, even when I was writing this, was what even is good? Because, right. uh, you know, that that is, I think where a lot of us break down. A lot of it is cultural, the what, what we've even learned or thought about that that is the definition of good, right? Because we look around and we say, well, good is this perfect life, whatever perfect is, but what we see, it is that the the beautiful house, the the perfect relationship, marriage, the 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 kids, the number of kids, the 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 looks, the body, the the car, the all that you you know the picture, right? The health, the healthy body, body, right? No disabilities, the no disabilities right? Yes. All of it. That is the 
per- perfect perfection, the good. And if, and if that's what our life looks like, then God is good and life is good. And, right. you know, when you read scripture, you understand that that's, that's not what God promised. It's not what the reality of life was to be and is, but there is somewhere inside of us and some of it's taught, some of it's just what we think, right? No one even had to teach us, right? Yeah. But I had to grapple with what actually is good because I, I hold a lot of empathy for other people's stories as well. And when you're in, you know, when you when you're a, a writer or speaker or whatever spiritual leader, you, people tell you a lot of stories, and so I hold a lot of that, and it causes a lot of weightiness, and you have to say, God, are you really good? And I, I ask that question a lot when I hear from people a lot, and so I had to really work through that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I um. Well, first of all. Good, the concept, the word good, yes, it's been hijacked in our world, a hundred percent agree. And for me, reconciling the goodness of God with all the stories of all the people who did good and walked with the Lord, and it looks like their lives are the opposite of good. What do you do with that? How could Psalm 8411 be true that no good thing does he withhold from those walking uprightly with him? What? Whatever. And (laughs) we know too much. We've seen too much. Like, how could that be true? And the reality that I've learned, and I, I imagine you would fall exactly along these lines, is that good the good things of God, the goodness of God is not physical world things. Right. That the goodness of God is nothing that could ever be taken from you because there's nothing the physical world could ever touch. And that's given me um, just kind of an aha, wake up thought, concept, because whether we like it or not, and whether we would admit it or not, we all buy into the prosperity gospel to some degree, yes. even though we would say we do not. <laughs> that's crazy. That's so silly. But really, we all just, our natural men is going to assume I do the right good girl thing and I get the right good girl life with all the goodies and the health of body and the loads of money in the bank and all the things. And and then you kind of have to reconcile, but wait, does it look like that's what's happening to everybody? Yes. You know. Most of all ourselves. Yes. I mean, you can speak to this better than anybody. I tell you, Catherine, it's one of the reasons that I dove into studying the omniscience of God really for about five years, which is what led mm-hmm. me to write my latest book, God Knows, because right. I had to come to the place where in holding the stories of so many people who, whether they were uh, struggling with um, the suicide of a child or, you know, things not working out in the way they wanted to in their marriage or, you know, another crisis, whatever the case was, I had to come to the place where I had confidence not in a soundbite, oh, God knows, but this this 
um, reality of who God is and that He truly does know what's happening in our lives, because that's tied into the goodness of God. What I learned is that there's there's no quality of God, there's no characteristic of God that can be separated from another. Guys, God cannot contradict Himself. Right. And so when we know that, if we say, oh, God knows what's going on in the world, don't worry, God knows, you know, He knows about what's happening in your life. He's intimately involved. That also can't be separated from the fact that God is good. And so He can't contradict Himself. And that's given me a lot of comfort. And the other part of that, which we're talking about here, really, it, it's exactly what we're discussing is there is some mystery to God. There is some mystery to the kingdom of God in the fact that God's omniscience, what He knows about the things, the intimate knowledge of God and things past, present, and future, His omniscience, that is not shared with us. And so when you talk about the goodness of God, Catherine, and you talk about it being, you know, of another world, God knows what really is good, that we can only put human definition to. And so we're doing the best we can. We're seeing what's good here. You know, honestly, what's good to me a lot of times is a 70 degree day with like really amazing food with all of my kids at the table. We might end in the night going to play a game together. I love games. And my dog is not running around like crazy because we have a puppy right now. So that's a really like, that's a good night for me. But I'm doing the best I can with human definitions. God is sovereign and supreme. And who knows what really is good in his mind? I don't. And so right. I, that's where I've landed. Yeah, I love that. I, um, You know, I, I've tasted, literally, it's funny, funny word choice. I've tasted the opposite of your scenario <laughs> of deep isolation, not even approved to eat food, couldn't swallow, so no eating for 11 months, mm-hmm. um, being forced to be in a group rehab situation with strangers who were angry largely and depressed. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. And um, I, I've tasted f- legit the opposite of your scenario and can say with assurance, yeah, that's good stuff right there. And yet... Um, was God um, not in the brain rehab or not in the failed swallow test or not? No, he totally was. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not there Mm. and not on the move. Um, It doesn't mean he's absent. So I'm with you in wrestling that uh, there's a mystery that God's presence and goodness are mysterious sometimes, but that doesn't mean he is not always at work in our stories. So thank thank you for sharing that. I deeply love your chapter titles in Hard Good. And I love the thought of showing up when you want to shut down. I wondered if you would unpack that because I feel that way sometimes. Showing up when you want to shut down. Isn't that the truth? This chapter was for me, Catherine. I mean, honestly, the whole book was for me. I'm like, okay, Lisa, right. I guess you're just writing this to yourself, basically. And if anybody else gleans anything from it, praise God. Because, um, oh, man, I tell you, Catherine, that I, honestly it makes me so tender to even to revisit this. Because I am a notorious shutter downer. Um, you know, things have... 
gotten hard in a relationship for me. And I've been like, let me just go ahead and exit out. Let me just bail out of this relationship. It's too tough right now. I don't want to figure it out. Um, And I think for me, it was coming face to face with the idea of God can help you show up for your life for that difficult moment when you so desperately want to shut down. Your body gives you signals, actually. It's the genius of God when you are in shutdown mode. I didn't realize for most of my life that that my body was trying to tell me something when I would begin to sweat above my upper lip and, you know, would begin to give really clipped words when, when I was about to shut down, when I was in kind of that shut down mode. Uh, but, but it was, and I was kind of, I would always tell her to be quiet, like just shh, be quiet right now is not the time to start sweating right now is not the time to, to do that. And I, I should have paid attention that those were signs that I was shutting down. I was I actually give a story at the beginning of that chapter that's super, super tender, which is my my father went to heaven in 2017, and, and he and I were extraordinarily close. But my mother um, began dating someone, uh, you know, after, after all these years. She was in her 70s, and she began dating someone uh, some months later. And I remember when he came to town to visit her, and we were going to go out on the boat we had a boat at the time and we liked to take people out on the boat. It was kind of a family activity. It was also something that was really um, reminiscent from myself and my father's relationship because I had a lot of memories of when we were little, when I was little and we would go on the lake and he would wash his hair in the lake. And it was kind of a, kind of a, a bonding experience for us. And so just really tender memories there. And so we were going to take uh, this man that my father, my mom was dating uh, out on the lake. And I remember he walked out of the house uh, wearing my father's cowboy hat. And it wasn't, Catherine, something that he did in any way to be, you know, right. cruel or he, he honestly didn't think a thing about it. Uh, really, really sweet man. And my mom didn't think a thing about it. There's kind of their personalities. But for me, It was so, so hard because my father had died months earlier. This was a hat that he wore on his head uh, and that was a memory for me. And it was already difficult to take this other man out on the lake. And uh, here I am, you know, I'm thinking I'm doing pretty good even just to allow this man to get in the car and go on the boat and be with us when all I want is my father there. And I can tell you that when he walked out wearing that hat, I'm sitting in the back seat and it was everything I could do in that moment not to, first of all, say something because I can be a little feisty. So I was, I thought, Ooh, I'm going to say something. And then just the Holy Spirit, I just prayed SOS, Lord, help me, but also not to shut down because I really, in that moment, Catherine wanted to just curl up in a ball and ball my eyes out or just be invisible. I wanted to go into the floorboard of the car. And the Lord helped me endure that day because I knew I had to go on with an entire day in front of me and be a hostess and do that day. And so I think the important thing is realizing that our feelings are a good gauge for what's happening inside of our hearts but but they are not supposed to be a God. They are so not supposed to rule us and run us and take over us. 
And so in that chapter, I help unpack what the difference is and how to do that. And that's been very key for my life. Mm, That's really powerful. I definitely fall into the same trap of just wanting to shut down. And for me, tragic shutdown happens um, much more than I would want it to um, around certain people. And I go silent. Mm. I just, I lose all ability to speak. I'm just like, I can't enter in and I'm done. And it's horrifying. I hate that about myself. I'm really working on, no, you can still be kind and communicate with people. And, but it's like, I, I lose my ability to speak. So I, um, I think so much of that is in your head. It's how are you going to think about it? And you've given me some some new tools of you can recognize it and choose differently. Then you're not a victim to your feelings. Mm. I would love to talk to you about healthy relationships mm. and um Healthy relationships and yet setting boundaries. I know you talk and write a lot about that, but I'd love for you to unpack how can we have healthy, vibrant relationships while setting boundaries, Mm. um, appropriate and healthy boundaries in those relationships. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Well, I think this is super important and it's also difficult to navigate, of course. Um, You know, I... I, I do write a little bit about this and God knows. And and one of the things that I talk about is something that uh, the Lord gave me this, this illustration that helped me differentiate uh, in, in kind of what people to have relationship with. And so here's, here's how, what I say. There's room in your heart for everyone, but there's not room in the car. And so maybe that'll help someone as you picture your car. I don't know, you might have a two-seater, you might have a five-seater, maybe you have a conversion van. I don't know what you have. I don't know what you drive. But what I do know is whatever you drive, there's limited seating. And so maybe you can take seven people in your car. But the point being is that the travelers that you travel through life with that are going to really be with you as you, you know, uh, are navigating through your your regular life, your daily life are going to be a handful of folks. They're going to be right. just people that that you have earned their trust and they've earned yours. And you you know who they are and they know who you are. And that's very, very important. And God has given us the capacity to love everyone. That is the beauty of our heart, right? It it has this unlimited capacity to love and accept everyone. And that is, that is another mystery in a way. Like, how could we, how can we do that? I don't know. I've given up trying to know how that works. All I know is that as we love, as Christ loved us, our heart has no limit to who we can love and who we can accept. And praise God for that. That means that we can value everyone. Everyone has worth. And so that doesn't exclude one single person in our life, like love and value, everyone has room. But our car travelers are fewer and they're going to be a lot fewer. And so that has been helpful for me as I've set boundaries for people. That means anyone who is directionally opposed to where we're going, anyone who's not supportive, anyone who's 
really honestly not going where we're going. And so, yeah, there are going to be some more decisions in that. That doesn't help you completely make all the decisions for who's going to ride in your car. But I think that's a helpful start because a lot of people get this twisted and they say, oh, but everybody has value and everybody. Absolutely. First of all, everybody has value because Jesus decided that when he died on the cross for all of us. This isn't about the worth of people. This is about who is going to travel with you. And I think when we struggle to set boundaries, first of all, most of the time, it is because we're having people pleasing issues. It's not because we actually uh, don't have the ability to say yes and no. It is more about us. It is more about our unwillingness to uh, not people please. And then we just don't fully understand what it is with boundaries. We don't understand how we are to love and accept everyone, but we are to travel with far fewer. That is so true. You know, yesterday I was chatting with my friend Susie, who's in the process of raising girls, um, and a boy, but girls. And we were talking about how important it is to teach both our boys, but mainly our girls, and I don't have girls, but this this still hit me hard, um, that they can say no. Mm. Like some some of us girls missed that um, in the deep people-pleasing culture and being a female. I, I didn't say a lot of no. You know, I said a lot of yes, and I'm still saying too much yes. And the boundary of no is like something that I really had to learn. I mean, I'm in therapy for yeah. it. <laughs> one, one of the reasons I'm in therapy is to, to learn, oh, you have agency. You can have an opinion, and that's not the same thing as being mean. That's right. So I think that's so super important. I love that you... Talk about that to Christian women, because I think so many times Christian women can screw that up and think that's being unkind if I have um, a boundary. And boundaries are actually um, for the relationship, actually. It's it's a blessing that I'm going to enter in with healthy boundaries with you. So I think that's... um, Super important. I absolutely love that you are a justice-driven person. I am too, actually. I'm very, from a very young age, actually, just radically impacted by the justice of our God and how that translates to the world. Always have been hugely justice mindsets. It can cross into the older brother and prodigal son stories way too many times, but I am most definitely um, justice-driven. And because you are a justice-driven person, how do you reconcile the chaos in the world with God. What do you make of it? How do you handle that? I will tell you, Catherine, that the injustice in this world is probably the biggest reason for me that the omniscience of God is wildly important. I I mean, for me, it is the thing that helps me sleep at night and not think that I need to become a vigilante and go take care of all the problems 
<laughs> as if I could, yeah. but there is somewhere inside of me and I'm a protector by nature. So especially when it comes to the disenfranchised, you know, anybody who is an underdog, anybody who my friends who are going through things that are, I think are unfair, boy, I am your advocate. I am a bulldog. And I just, I'm going to tell you, if you're a person who is very justice driven, this stuff keeps you up at night. Like, how can I make things right? And I think part of that is um, coming down to, coming down off your high horse. I'll just speak to, I'll just go ahead and speak to that. <laughs> I'll speak to my own yeah, issues. Yeah. Coming off your high horse and realizing, by the way, Lisa, God does not need you. God does not need you to solve the issues of this world. He is far better at that than you and he's on it. So there's that. Romans is right. Romans is very clear, Catherine. My job is to live at peace with people where it is possible. Right. And God's job is to vindicate. And one of the things that and by the when by the way vindication is on a macro level and on a micro level. God will vindicate right. the, the the kingdom of God and he will vindicate us as people. Um you know, one of the things that that meant the most to me in in studying the omniscience of God was becoming reacquainted and more acquainted with Cairo's time, which is um, something it talks about in the New Testament. And Cairo's time yeah. is the the um, appointed time in the kingdom of God. Like it is the perfect time, God's perfect time. And it says in Psalm, at the time I have planned, I will bring justice to the wicked. Uh, and it it is something that is a it is a place that I place my rest because most of the unrest in the world, most of the chaos involves uh, points of injustice, and so right. because of that, this idea, this belief, and I believe the Bible cover to cover. I believe the Bible through and through. If I believe that, then I believe that God will do it in His timing. The timing is a mystery to me. It is not shared with me. And so His timing will set it right in this world or the next. And it is, is, it is my job to live at peace with all people where it is possible. And as it says in Exodus, God will fight for me. My job is to be still. Now, I right. struggle with ah. being still. <laughs> I struggle with that, right. but that is my job. And so that suggests trust, that suggests rest. And those are the things that I daily have to try to give to the Lord because those are the places that I have a hard time with. Isn't that beautiful truth that we just need to sit still and let him do the work. And he, he does the work. We get to be a part of it. That's, um, thank you. For that memory, actually, you know, I think the Lord does that. Like sometimes you didn't even know you needed something and you do. And it's somewhere deep inside you, but somebody else has to remind you of mm. it. Because that's how friendship works, Lisa. That's we're right. friends. Yeah. <laughs> which side note, I went to the Grove, which is the big women's ministry at my yeah. church the other night. And Lisa Harper was the speaker. Oh, 
and it was so cute. She said, if you have a problem with my message tonight, my last name is, and she gave a whole list of other Lisa's. So, Turkhurst, Whittle, I forget who else, but it cracked me up so much. If you have a complaint, look up those people online and, and contact their email addresses. And it made me laugh Lisa so Harper. hard. Oh, she is such a gem. She's too funny. I love her so much. Ah, uh, well, you are too. I love <laughs> women like you, like Lisa Turkers, like Lisa Harper, like Lisa Whittle, who are authors and speakers and just sold out in these ministry spaces, encouraging women. I know it's not easy work. I, uh, I kind of dip my toe in it as well. And it is a lot. And I'd love for you to speak to how do you receive so many stories of mm. so much pain? You know, at the end of a book line, when it's you know, multiple hours long and you're hearing stories that break your heart. No one's waiting to talk to you at the end of a book line unless it's really hard for them, honestly. Or they're a super fan and it gets weird. <laughs> but by and large, they're waiting because they're suffering. Um, and I don't know about you, but for me, I've really ha had to learn how to, what I call... Um, empathize, but not internalize, to really not take it home with me, but really be in the moment and feel it. And it has been a difficult road for me to do that. I would love for you to speak of how you are able to do that. Because at the end of the day, everybody listening to this podcast wants to show up with true empathy, kindness, to listen well, but um, to not be wrecked by mm. it. I think what you said is so brilliant. Empathize, but don't internalize. Um, right. I think it is hard to do uh, as women because we we love people. It, our heart is open and we are um, commanded to love people. And, and I think being active listeners and I think, um, you know, the, the gift of presence, all of these things we are getting a little bit better at and praise God for that. One of the things that it has become very important to me through the years that God showed me, uh, it was some years ago when I went and did some ministry somewhere that was very, very heavy. Uh, I came home and I remember I sat in my closet for, I don't know, the better part of a day. And I was just, you know, weeping and speaking with the Lord about it. And we had a great time about it. But I remember at some point, the Lord said to me, you know, you're going to have to get up off your floor and, and get on with the business that I've called you to. And it was it was this idea um, and, and really these words specifically of uh, don't be so affected that you become ineffective. And I think there's a word there that Please don't hear that. That that doesn't mean that we're not um, empathetic toward people. It be, it means that we take things on exactly what you just said. I can't say it any better, honestly. But we we take things on so much that they be, they begin to inform um, our own life in a way that we attack. We become attached, uh, and then we begin to have certain thought processes. And, you know, it, it's funny, you can, 
our, our brains are sponges. Our emotions are sponges. And so you can watch a, a show on TV or uh, you can read a book and we, we, it can begin to inform our thoughts even about right. our marriage or our families or whatever. And so that's a little bit of a side road, but it's, it's very similar when we have empathy overload, right? From even what we see a lot on social media. And as someone who has been called to minister to people, I take that role very seriously and I love it. And I know God wouldn't have called me to that if he didn't, wasn't going to give me the grace to be able to carry it out. But I have no, I'm not confused, Catherine, about my role in that. I am not anybody's savior. I am not anybody's hero. And um, I'm not going to save anybody. I am here to, to simply give um, some insights that the Lord gives me and hopefully share those in a way that is um, the way that I can, because I the right. way I share is not going to be the way you share or someone else. And so we're all right. needed in the kingdom of God. But I think for, for anybody, there's just maybe just a word that could help would be um, have your know who you are and know who you aren't. And know that that you're not any even with you, when you have a close friend who's sharing with you something very deep. Um, know that you're not there to save them. Know that you are not their right. counselor, and you're not meant to be. You're not meant to be the the hero of a situation. And um, sometimes the wisest thing that we can do is suggest that someone goes and gets counseling. And um, that is um, that's a gift that we give to others. Oh, for sure. I'm right there with you. I think so many times it's it's a very slippery slope. And I I really always want to be about combating celebrity culture. Mm. And social media makes that really difficult because um, it's all about proximity. I believe that when you get face-to-face with someone, it's very difficult to still see them as other a celebrity, very difficult for a celebrity, quote-unquote, to see themselves that way. When you're face-to-face with the people you're supposedly serving, it's really difficult to isolate yourself, um, or it's difficult to not, when you are isolated, then not have true, real empathy Mm. because you're not around. Um, So I'm thinking through all the things and processing with you of how, how do we prevent that just tragic epidemic um, in our world. And Christian people who start with a really good plate, you know, it always starts really earnestly and well and lovers of Jesus. And then there's these tremendous like breaks from reality where um, we just see so much. I think so much is about proximity to the people you're serving and not developing a a God complex because we're not God. And I think for me so many times, people want to throw me into the inspiration bucket. Like, oh, she's an inspiration um, and make me unrelatable to their life and their story. But just like you're saying, I'm not your savior. (laughs) I hope to point you to him. But um, I guess I'd say I'm not your true inspiring force. I I know who is, and I want to point you to him, but um, 
you know, I may I may encourage you on the way, and that's not a bad thing. Good. <laughs> anyway, Lisa, I um I've loved this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I would love in closing to ask you the question I like to ask every guest, and particularly relevant given um, your hard good book. I would love to ask you what is good in your story, what is hard in your story, and how do you live in the tension of both those things at the same time? Mm. Well, let me give you a broad answer and I'll give you a narrow answer. So the the broad answer would be the good in my story is Jesus never giving up on me. The hard in my story is me constantly running away from him and the messes that I've made in the process. The narrow answer would be the hard in my story is probably my entire life as a pastor's daughter, the relationship with my father uh, as a pastor, and his major crash that he had publicly with the church, Mm. and all of the things that went with that, all of the confusion, all of the hurt, all of the everything. The good in that story is that the greatest place of ministry for me now is in the church and with leaders to help them know how to live with gifting and with integrity at the same time. And uh, so the coexisting of hard and good doesn't fall. It doesn't, I don't miss that. I don't miss that God has used that. What you are saying so beautifully is what I find to be true many times. It is the very same thing. The hardest and the best are actually part of the same story. That's right. Really, really good. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Tell our listeners where to keep up with you. It's been such a joy, Catherine. I've loved it so much. Um, honestly, you can just go to lisawittle.com. It's just the easiest yeah. space to find everything, podcasts, books, Bible studies, whatever you want. Free stuff. We got free stuff there. Yeah, free stuff. <laughs> Who doesn't love free stuff? Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today on the Good Hard Story podcast that we could call the Hard Good Story podcast. <laughs> and um, for chatting with me, Lisa, you You are a gift to this world. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Good Heart Story podcast. To learn more about what we are doing, follow us on Instagram at Hope Heals. Check out all things Hope Heals at HopeHeals.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this wherever you get podcasts. And please feel free to share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. Good Heart Story Podcast is a production of Good Heart Story, LLC. It is produced by Leah Case and Mary Austin Hall. And I am your fearless and fabulous host, Catherine Wolf. Come back and join us every week where we believe that the good story and the hard story can be the very same story. We are with you and for you, friends.